Today we are looking at a sermon that is titled, One Sin to Rule Them All. And if that title sounds familiar to you, it might. Um, that will be uh, connected as we move later in the uh, passage. We are going to be looking at the story of Adam and Eve, and particularly the event that we call the fall, which is the event where sin enters into the world. As we come and look at this story out of the book of Genesis, we have a Goldilocks problem. When it comes to interpreting the story of Genesis and the fall, there is a Goldilocks problem. And in the story of Goldilocks and the three bears, we have Goldilocks who enters the house and she finds the porridge and one's too hot, one's too cold, and one is mm, just right. And then Goldilocks tries the chairs. One's too firm, one's way too squishy, and one is just right. And then she goes to the beds. One's too hard, one's too soft, and one is, yeah, you know, just right. In the story of Adam and Eve, we can sometimes get too far away from the story. Sometimes we can get too close into the story. You want to try and get it just right. So the too far away, the too distant approach of Adam and Eve comes and says, oh, this is just a myth. It's an, simply an ancient creation myth. Just like the many other ancient civilizations who have their own creation stories. And the key word here is myth, which is meaning that it is untrue. And the idea of ancient creation myths is that these were unscientific, in other words, people not near as smart as us, who needed some sort of way to explain the unknowable. So they came up with these fantastic stories. And the problem with a creation myth is that we learn nothing of God. We simply learn of the people who have that story. Now, sometimes in the story of Adam and Eve, we can get too close. We can look in for more details than perhaps are really there. So some people come to Adam and Eve, and they want to tell you it's all about science, and there's history that's involved, and there's um, rules for what married life should look like, and there's rules for what church structure should look like. That feels like maybe more than is actually in the story. And specifically what happens when people come through the story of Adam and Eve with a, perhaps a too close perspective is they would say, in a church, you shouldn't have women leaderships because Eve was the one who ate the apple or whatever fruit first. And, well, you know, that seems like maybe we're pulling out details that aren't actually there. So what is the just right approach? Is this story simply a myth? Is it some sort of fact that must be pushed into the minutest of details? As I come to the story of Adam and Eve, I'm going to view it as true and I'm going to preach it as a real story. 
I view Adam as a real person, which is in line with what the New Testament does. So if we were to look at how people later in the Bible understand the story of Adam and Eve, they understand him as a real person. And so when I come and preach this story, I preach them as real people. It's far less complicated for me. But I also view the scripture as theological, meaning it is designed to tell us about God. So the story of Adam and Eve is not meant to be a science book. It's not meant to be a history account. It is not meant to simply give us advice on how we should live. As we come to scriptures, we do find some input on science. The scriptures do record history for us. And the scriptures do help us in our life with good wisdom. All those things are true. But ultimately, the scriptures are there to reveal God to us. And here in the story of Adam and Eve, we have the revealing of God to us. We also have the revealing and the understanding of people to us. As we come, and I mentioned uh, my focus today will be on the theological aspect of this story, what it tells us about God and what it tells about us in relationship to God. That's going to help us understand our title to one sin to rule them all. And when you heard that title, if you said, huh, that sounds like the Lord of the Rings, then that is what I was kind of playing on there for sure. And in the Lord of the Rings, we have our great villain who tricks the other leaders of this world into making rings of power. And then our villain forges one ring to rule them all. Today, we are looking at Adam's sin. Adam's sin was one sin to rule, really more enslave, one sin to enslave them all. And Jesus Christ is one sacrifice to save them all. First thing we're going to look at is going to be Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to see that God provides much for the people. There's just simply one restriction. The people, that being Adam, can have all this, just not that. As we come and look at the story of Genesis, what we have is in Genesis 1, We have the creation story that is provided for us that focuses on God. Beginning in Genesis chapter 2, we begin um, in verse 4 of that to begin to see a creation story that focuses on the perspective of the people. And in chapter 2, man is formed by God. And the Hebrew word man is transliterated. In other words, the letters just match over from Hebrew to English. They match over in the letters A-D-A-M, Adam. So Adam's name is just man. And so that is who Adam is. He is the first man that is created. And we are introduced to two trees. We have the tree 
of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me read this morning to us from Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God has a single rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's important to note that this directive is given only to the man. It is given only to Adam. Eve, at this point in the story, has not yet been formed. We see in verse 16 that God gives Adam many options. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Look about you. All that you have, all the options, whatever you want, it is there before you. There is just one tiny, single, little rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you die. Many, many options. One single rule. As we think of God working in our own life, we tend to have vision like Adam does. Instead of seeing all that God allows us to do, we see the things that we are not allowed to do. And so when we come to our life with God, we say, oh, I can't do this. I don't get to do that. Hey, my friends get to gossip about everybody. And I always have to take a pass on that conversation. My friends, they look like they're having way more fun than me. But because I follow God, I'm not going to. And so we begin to see our life not through the abundance that God offers us, but through the restrictions that we see God placing upon us. That is what Adam did. And it led to problems. So as you come and look at your life and you find yourself saying, oh, look at what I can't do. I want you to pause for a moment as you find yourself with that thought dashing through your head and say, no, 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 no. Look at the options before me. There is a world of abundance that God provides for us. And that world of abundance is good. And that world of abundance will bring us life and blessing. And the restrictions that we face, just like Adam, they lead to death. As we continue on in this passage, we are going to look at what is called the fall. This is a theological time when sin enters the world. And it begins in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7 for us. Let me read that now. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden. 
You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In this account of the fall, we have the arrival of this crafty serpent. And this crafty, crafty serpent, that word is getting me, <laughs> it's defeating me today, isn't it? That crafty serpent we know as Satan. And that comes to us actually from the book of Revelation, which refers to the serpent as, the, as Satan, as the devil. And this serpent is quite the silver-tongued animal. He comes and begins to sway the people towards making a decision that God does not want. And our serpent mixes three parts truth to one part lie. So the first truth that the serpent says is, did God say? Yes, God did say something. That's true. The serpent says, hey, your eyes will be open. And indeed, your eyes will be open. And the third thing is, the serpent says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's true. The people up to this point did not know evil. But there is a lie that is mixed in. The serpent says, you will not certainly die. So the woman takes and eats. And then she gives to her husband, who was there with her. And immediately we're told that their eyes were open. And their first response with this action of disobeying God is that they feel shame. They feel embarrassed. They don't want to be seen. And so they take the fig leaves and make garments to cover their body because of the shame that they feel. And in that moment, we have the fall, the time when sin enters into God's perfect creation. And once centers in to perfection, it cannot be extracted. Sin cannot be removed. The perfect world has now become imperfect. I have some illustrations to help us out in understanding how sin affects all things. So consider if you have a bucket of paint, perfectly white paint. And you look upon your perfectly white paint. And you take a red drop of paint and you drop it in. And you begin to stir the paint. 
It is no longer perfectly white. There is a noticeable red hue. Can you get that red hue out? You cannot. It stays. The paint has become the new color. Next, think about your bulletin that you have with you. And there is a crease from where it has been folded. Have you ever tried to remove a crease from a folded sheet of paper? You cannot get that thing out. It stays with the paper. Sin is the same. Once it enters the world, it cannot be removed. And like that drop of red paint, sin stains everything. And like that fold in the paper, it stays and cannot be removed. Perhaps you know the artist Billy Joel. We're going to work in Billy Joel this morning. Billy Joel in uh, the 1980s sang a song, We Didn't Start the Fire. And uh, that song actually is on your welcome card. If you want to link out and hear that song on your welcome card, you can. Um, the, the song is about uh, this generational angst. It's written in the 80s. And the idea in the 80s, as people look back to the 50s, is, wow, everything was great back in the 50s. And now we're in the 80s and everything is a mess. Which is a little bit funny because now we look back to the 80s and we think, oh, everything was great back in the 80s and now the world's a little bit of a mess. But the song as it mixes in cultural references, also mixes in the problems of the world. And the refrain of the song goes, we didn't start the fire. It's always burning since the world's been turning. And the spiritual truth that comes out of that is that we are born into a fallen world. We are born into a world that is stained by sin. And Billy Joel was right. We didn't start the fire. It's always been burning. He says since the world was turning, we would say since the Garden of Eden. As we come and we think of us in a sinful world, and we say that we are born into a world that is filled with sin, we have a feeling of saying, that's not fair. And one of the things that we teach from the fall is that each of us is a sinful person. We were born with a sinful nature. In other words, we are born into this sinful world, and we are inclined towards committing sinful actions. And we have this feeling of, that's not fair. Why am I being punished for something that I didn't do? I wasn't in the garden. I wasn't with Adam. I wasn't with Eve. They were the ones who picked that little fruit off the tree and ate it. If there's a punishment, then only they should receive it. If you're going to punish me, punish me for what I did. Not for what Adam and Eve did. That is our feeling that we have. 
Let me read for us from Romans chapter 5. And so we are moving forward in the Bible, and this is now in the time of the church. And Romans is a theological book um, that begins to unwrap um, the work of Jesus Christ and the saving work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, verse 12 for us. Just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. The passage is saying that sin entered the world through one man, and death came because of this one person. And because of this one person's action, we all have sinned. And you say, that's not fair. By our own modern sensibilities, it is not fair to be held accountable for something that we didn't do. Understandable. That's how we see the world. But you know what else isn't fair? It's not fair that Jesus took the punishment of our sin. That wasn't fair at all. And you know what else isn't fair? It's not fair that God forgives us for everything we've done wrong. That's, that's not really fair, is it? God is gracious and merciful to us. But that's not really fair at all. We can become the very children of God. We can become the perfect child of a perfect God. But we aren't perfect. That's not fair. You see, as Christians... We do not aspire to fairness because our God is most unfair with us. And the reason that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is because our God is unfair. Our God forgives us. Our God is gracious to us. Our God is merciful to us. Our God loves us fully, even in our sinful nature. As Christians, we do not want a fair world. Because in a fair world, we would be judged against perfection. But we are not judged against perfection. We are forgiven by a loving God. The passage continues on there in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to see what I had mentioned earlier. That there is one sin to enslave them all and one sacrifice to save them all. And I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. 
Just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The passage of those three verses basically say the same thing in each verse in a little bit different way. And it speaks how Adam, all are condemned. And through the work of Jesus, all can be saved. Our world suffers from a pandemic of sin. And in this pandemic of sin, death prevails. And in this pandemic of sin, there is a patient zero. There is one person with whom it started. There is one person who brought all of this upon us. Patient zero is Adam. Remember back in the garden, who received the command not to eat from the tree? It was Adam. He was the one who received the command. And then we have the work of Jesus Christ, who is the cure for patient zero. And the serum works for everyone. Because all are condemned in one man. All can be saved by one man. Let us read this passage together. And nature of Romans is that it can be a book that is a bit tedious, um, a bit detailed, sometimes a little bit hard to follow. Uh, But as we read uh, this passage together today, I want you to try to follow along and see what we have talked about. And you'll see that come through. Let's read together. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. As we see the work of God, it does seem that God is bound up by some sort of cosmic rules. The vexing question is why? Why can't God just wave some magic wand and solve the problem? Why can't God just like, and absolve everyone of sin? We do not have an answer to that. But we do know what God's long-term goal is. And God's long-term goal is eternal fellowship with his created beings. His eternal fellowship with the created people. The people who we know from Genesis 1, who are created in God's image. We are told that male and female, God created them in the image of God. We are a special creature before God. And God desires fellowship with us. Just as God fellowshiped with Adam and Eve in the garden, God also seeks a time where we might have eternal fellowship. And that crafty serpent thought, ha, I can ruin God's plan. And that crafty serpent said, I'll bring sin into this world, and with sin will come death. And that will put an end to God's hope of eternal fellowship. 
But it seems that while the serpent may be a bit crafty, the serpent was simply playing a game of checkers while God was playing chess. And that crafty serpent, who thought he was so smart, was just a pawn in God's great game. And while the serpent thought sin would put the end to eternal fellowship with God, it turns out that sin was that pathway. And through the serpent's act of tricking Adam, the righteous work of Jesus Christ could proceed. And we have the opportunity of eternal fellowship with our God. That is the hope that we have. We live with that today. And right now in our world and in our lives, we still feel the effects of sin, don't we? We feel the effects of death. And even as we mentioned the flowers and the mourning of Paul, that's the world that we have now. But through the work of Jesus Christ, there is a time when the sorrows of this world will be gone. There will be no more tears, no more crying, we find ourselves in the eternal presence of God. And that is possible because one man sinned. And because one man sinned and cursed us all, one man, Jesus Christ, died and gave up his life to save us all. Let us take a moment and quietly reflect upon today's message together.